0: This is a major achievement. With CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent. Major Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi. Major Garrett. Major, that's
1: nonsense. And you should know better. Is Major out of the doghouse? (laughs) The answer is yes.
2: Welcome to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett. And for those of you watching on CBSN, you can see we're in a restaurant for the first time in more than a year since the middle of March We are back out with The Takeout, where the show has always been, or at least its heart has always been. We're in Annapolis, Maryland, the capital of the great state of Maryland, at Galway Bay, which advertises itself, I think quite accurately, as a pub and Irish whiskey bar. We'll stick to the pub side of that declaration. Uh, It's just great to have you with us. I can't tell you how excited I am to be back out in restaurants. Uh, We have been exceedingly cautious about doing this. And we're going to have a conversation about whether or not that caution should be continue to be exercised. But for the next three weeks, we're going to be in restaurants. Dr. Lena Wen will be our special guest in Baltimore next week. And the week after that, we'll be in Richmond, Virginia, talking to the governor of Virginia, Ralph Northam. But today, right now back for the first time in a restaurant in more than a year. Our special guest is Larry Hogan, the Republican governor of the great state of Maryland. Governor, it's great to see you.
3: Gary, okay, it's great to be with you, and uh, I'm glad to be your your inaugural back to the restaurant. Uh, exactly.
2: Actually. So let me ask you right now, um, what is your confidence level in Maryland and the country? Is the worst of the pandemic behind us, or do we still have some very tough days ahead?
3: I, I would say both. I, I believe that the worst of the pandemic is behind us, but I think we still do have some tough days ahead. Uh, you know, and it varies based on where you are and how successful people have been with the vaccines. It's just that simple. Uh, we're what doing, are you most afraid of? I'm concerned about. So in our state, we've done uh, we're one of the best in the country for vaccinations. We've now done 76 percent of all the people over 18 and 93% of everybody over 65. As a result, our infection rates and hospitalizations and deaths are nearly non-existent. Uh, but with this, this more virulent, more contagious Delta variant, we're seeing among unvaccinated folks still uh, some real issues that you have to be concerned about. And that's why we're doing everything we can to leave no arm left behind and to get everybody vaccinated. What are you doing that's new on that front? So we've gone after this. Uh, from every angle we could possibly think of, we had eleven thousand four hundred people involved in our vaccination program, uh, at three thousand different points of distribution. We've uh, have an equity task force that I think is is leading the nation and just doing a great job. but we're we had mass vaccination sites that have now wound down because we did large, you know, portions of the population Uh, and now it's more uh, going uh, door to door uh, neighborhood to neighborhood and trying to work with community leaders and faith-based leaders and others uh, people that uh, people trust in the community to try to convince uh, the rest of the folks this is a really
2: important question i want you to hit it hard how much is misinformation and disinformation actively propagated undermining your efforts to vaccinate marylanders
3: uh, well, it, it, it absolutely is a serious problem all across the country, and I say, I mentioned it, we're, we're doing really well, but among people who have not gotten vaccinated, it's not because it wasn't available, it's because they had reservations, and much of that, a, a great deal of that comes from misinformation and disinformation, uh, and it's, it's really sad. I mean, it's actually putting people's lives at risk. Are those on the center right of the political spectrum more or less responsible for that misinformation than others? I would say, uh, you know, there's disinformation all around, but I think the people on the right, I wouldn't say the center right, I would say maybe hard the, right. the, the hard right. The Trump right. Uh, the Trump, the Trump fact. There's no question we have difficulties in our more rural communities where, uh, you know, Trump voters Somerset are. County. Somerset County. Is your
2: least vaccinated county?
3: Well, Somerset County is unique in that it's uh, it's got one of our largest black populations and it's it's a rural community. So we have... We have some reluctance and hesitancy in both of those communities, and uh, Somerset happens to have a a combination of, it's a small rural county with a large black population, and we have it on the left and the right, quite frankly, Uh, and there, there are legitimate concerns that we try to address, but a lot of it is simply complete nonsense that people believe.
2: So, in Maryland, do you anticipate doing anything differently in terms
3: of mask recommendations or mandates in the coming months? We were uh, early on somewhat one of the probably the most aggressive state in the country. We took action faster than anybody. I communicated the importance of masking and distancing and we did really well. And that's why our metrics are so much better than the country and and probably, you know, 45 other states at least uh, right now. I, I think that because we've got such a huge percentage of the population vaccinated, we're in great shape, but we still are recommending those who are unvaccinated. If you're in a situation where you can't distance and you're putting yourself at risk in a large crowd, they should still consider it. Unfortunately, consider it. Unfortunately, the ones who uh, are reluctant to get the vaccines are also the ones that are reluctant to wear masks. Same thing. Yeah.
2: So the American Academy of Pediatrics, as I know you know, has said in the fall when schools reopen and children go back to school and they're all in favor of children going back to school, regardless we of their status, they
3: should wear a mask. Do you agree with that? And will you advise that in Maryland? So w- right now we're, uh, you know, looking at reopening, getting every single kid back into schools in the fall, and it's critically important because uh, you know the the education gaps and our kids have really fallen behind and. Uh, so we've got to get them into face, face-to-face, face in-person instruction. A lot of our kids, I authorized every school in the state to open since last August. Um, more than half of our school systems did open, uh, but some of our larger jurisdictions uh, decided to do mostly uh, virtual or in some hybrid situations. We've had very little problem over the past year. So uh, the school systems have done a great job. We put about $1.2 billion into our school systems for HVAC improvements, for you know, ventilation. ventilation. And, uh, and uh, we, we, we unlimited amounts of ppe uh, millions of tests available and our school systems our local school systems have done a great job and i think we can get kids but if all- they ask
2: you say governor what should we do about masks and kids what's your recommendation i don't think be-
3: that uh, because we got so many people vaccinated because kids have not been a big issue and hadn't been a problem for us for the past year we don't have i don't think we have to require masks for kids understood so in the not too distant future if the president of the united states
2: is to be believed and there's no reason he shouldn't be the Food and Drug Administration will take emergency use authorization off of the vaccines and make them fully approved. That is going to be an interesting and important legal line of demarcation because many people who say, hey, look, business X, you can't require because it's emergency use. When it's fully approved, that legal hook disappears. Will Maryland, under your leadership, require people to be vaccinated to go back to work or to go to certain places in order to incentivize vaccines and to make
3: other people safe? No, we're not going to mandate it, but I think it's going to help us a lot to get some. It's the, we just did polling about the folks that have refused to take a vaccine. What was the main issue? And that's the number one issue, that they're not, they're not really fully approved, and so they don't trust the vaccine. So I think it's going to help us get some of the reluctant people. Get over that hump. Get over that hump. Um, and and, why and not frankly, it's taken way too long. Why not uh, mandate it? I, I don't think it's uh, it's something that we should be mandating, but uh, you know, I look, we're going to continue to get those last twenty some percent uh, and try to finish them up. Not mandate because it won't
2: work, or because
3: it's too much of a legal hassle. Both. Um, you know, I think And the politics are bad. We've been, uh, the politics are also bad, but we're trying to in, uh, provide incentives, and if companies do have the ability, uh, and, and our, our university systems are requiring people to be vaccinated, and a number of companies, our hospital systems are, and we fully support their ability to make those decisions, uh, but for the state to dictate that to everybody is probably not something that's going to happen.
2: So before we go to our first break, many people may or may not know this, but Maryland has a brilliant history with the olympics you have amazing famous olympians from maryland there are 14 athletes in tokyo are you uncomfortable about these olympics do you think they should go on do you think the covid situation in tokyo and japan is so dangerous that they shouldn't go
3: on well, it's a great question. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned about it, and uh, obviously they are too, which is why they, they keep scaling down from no fans except for Japanese uh, fans and now nobody at all. It's a very strange situation. I think they're taking every precaution they can, but obviously we've had some, uh, some outbreaks and some uh, people test positive. You know, I, 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 I'm hopeful that the Olympic committee can, is going to continue to try to keep everybody safe. But I think I'm not sure that the games should have uh, con- gone on. But given that we're talking about vaccination, Japan has done almost no vaccinations. And it's uh, the Delta variant is, uh, is, is really you know, concerning over there. I watch the Olympics.
2: I'm a huge Olympics fan. But I must tell you, Governor, having watched a couple of things already, I'm queasy watching it. I feel this nervousness about it.
3: I haven't uh, watched any yet, but um, I, I know that, uh, you know, we're uh, we're in the process. We're talking about a trip to Korea, uh, which you know, Korea is starting to have some issues and Japan is much worse. Uh, Japan has uh, very little. Uh, I think two percent of the population has been vaccinated. Um, most of our athletes, I believe, have been. So that should be, uh, you know, some people there's a few breakthroughs that somebody that's been vaccinated actually gets the virus, but they're not being hospitalized like and since June 1st in our state. of our deaths and 95% of our hospitalizations are unvaccinated people. So, Major Garrett, Larry Hogan, Takeout, segment two in just a second.
0: It's three o'clock somewhere. Time for a My Mochi ice cream snack. My Mochi ice cream is cool, creamy scoops of premium ice cream wrapped in sweet pillowy dough. And get this... You know who you are with the joyfully chill sensation of My Mochi ice cream. Find My Mochi ice cream at Target or visit MyMochi.com to locate a grocery store near you. From CBS News, this is The Takeout with Major Garrett.
2: Back out on the road in a restaurant in person for the first time in much more than a year. I'm Major Garrett. Welcome back to The Takeout. It's fantastic to be in Annapolis, the capital of Maryland, with the governor of Maryland, Larry Hogan. Galway Bay is our hosting restaurant. We'll be having lunch here in just a moment. Hannah, our spectacular waitress, will be coming up in just a moment to take our orders. So, Governor, you said those statistics. I wanted to have you drive them home because Maryland uh, is among the leaders in this country in vaccination rates. But those who are unvaccinated
3: account for what percentage of your hospitalizations and deaths? So, one since June 1st, uh, 100% of our deaths. 100%? 100% of our deaths, and 95% of our hospitalizations are unvaccinated people. Right. If that doesn't drive it home for you, that, you know, if you you get vaccinated, you're not going to be in the hospital and you're not going to die. Right. (laughs) And I have read, Governor, in other states which have
2: much lower vaccination rates, these pitiful stories of people who are now telling their nurses or their family members, I thought one thing, now this brother, this son, this wife, spouse is dying or has died,
3: I wish I had done something different. Well, it's heartbreaking um, because this is a completely uh, unavoidable situation that we're in. And you talked earlier about the misinformation and disinformation. It breaks my heart that people, uh, we can't break through and we can't convince some of these folks because it's the simplest thing uh, to do uh, to keep you and your family and your loved ones safe. Is it in its own way, Governor a metaphor for where our politics have descended that's a very good point i mean look uh we're we're so uh i talk a lot about the toxic politics today in america and we're so divided on the right and the left and there's so much anger and frustration and disinformation uh this is a perfect example of it when people's lives are at stake when we've lost 600,000 americans and uh and still we're arguing about how to keep the rest of them safe And the identity
2: that we attach with one person, either this person is my champion and therefore that person is my enemy and whatever comes out of that enemy's mouth, I discount up front. We don't even get to the layering of is it true or not true or anything else.
3: Well, it's one of the most frustrating things to me and I actually wrote a book that touches on some of these topics because I I really think we're at a point in this country uh, where where, we're... There's so much anger and uh, divisiveness, I call it the toxic politics, uh, that the people are just shouting at each other and and listening to their own echo chambers. We're not really uh, paying attention to the facts. We're listening to the other side and trying to figure out a way to find that middle ground where we can all get get together and, and get things done. Former President Trump is a symptom of that or the cause? Well, I, I I don't think you can blame all of it on him. I, I talked about this in my inauguration, uh, my inaugural speech in 2015 in January about the divided politics in the country. So it was it was already happening. It's been happening, getting worse, I think, for decades. But there's no question in my mind that uh, the president has exacerbated the problem. He and, is the uh, testosterone behind yeah, that yeah, toxic th- th- power. Threw, threw some gasoline on the fire. Mm-hmm. And is that sustainable for a national party? No, it's not. Which is why I, uh, you know, I've been. Speaking out from the beginning and uh, uh, standing up, and, and I, I, look, I really believe in uh, a competitive a two-party system. I think it's you know great for our uh, democratic republic, and I'm concerned that uh, you know my party uh, is no longer uh, a, a big tent Reagan-esque party where we're shrinking and shrinking the base. We're just talking to the hardcore base, and we're not reaching as I've done here in Maryland, blue state in the country. Uh, I'm a Republican, the second one to be reelected in 244 years. Uh, I did it by reaching out and, and uh, still still appealing to the base of Republican voters, but getting independence and discerning democrats suburban women and minorities to cross over and vote for me and that's what the party needs to do nationally or we're not going to we're not going to be a major party we're not going to we're not going to win uh, national elections i mentioned your name just a moment ago hannah
2: is here hannah it's great to see you please approach the table
1: okay great. governor what would you like well. for lunch
2: i'm going to try fish and chips
1: fish and chips it's a classic good choice for you, sir? I had
2: I will have the Reuben. A Reuben. I noticed that it, I have fries on the side. I would like yes. not to have fries on the side. I would okay. like another potato potato item from the menu. The Wexford potato case. Okay. Wow! What a. What a bold choice. <laughs> Ruben <laughs> and potatoes. I'm in an Irish pub, ladies yes. and gentlemen, oh, and I'm going full Irish. <laughs> right. Johanna, so, Hannah, thank, so thank you so much. Thank you so much. And whenever that food is ready, you just throw it right in front oh, of us. We'll know what great. to do with it. So, <laughs> let's go back to January 6th. Yeah. There is an effort by the former president to say, you know, they were just ushered in. It was kind of peaceful. It wasn't as bad as it looked. I want your full-throated description of what you saw and what you believe it represents.
3: Well, it's just absolutely false. It's, it's complete nonsense. I mean, this was an attack on our on the, 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 the very seat of power of our democracy. I've described it as
2: an attack by the executive branch on the legislative branch.
3: Well, I'm not sure. I, I would describe it exactly that way, but I, I have said repeatedly that uh, the president was responsible for inciting that crowd, and it was the, the, it was because of his uh, rhetoric and uh, other folks that, the, that this uh, crowd got out of hand and, 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 and went to the Capitol. Look, I was I was in my office here in Annapolis on a on a Zoom with the Japanese ambassador when I got um, my chief of staff interrupted and said they're attacking the Capitol. I excused myself. I then got frantic phone calls from Steny Hoyer, who, uh, uh, who was with Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, begging us to send the Maryland National Guard and the Maryland State Police, which we did. We were the first ones to arrive. Uh, we, uh, it, it was an assault on, on democracy, and, it, and right, it's totally unacceptable.
2: To, to that point, Governor, you're a state governor protecting the national
3: capital from fellow Americans. It's, it, it's, uh, did you ever believe— that day would ever come. I I never could have imagined in my uh, wildest dreams that we could get to that point. Uh, Or your wildest nightmares. My wildest nightmares. Uh, You know, I came out immediately. Look, we, we were trying to send the National Guard because the... D.C. is in a state. They don't have a governor. And we had to get the approval of the Department of Defense, which took two hours. Mm-hmm. But our guys were staged at the border. We sent in 250 riot train Maryland State Police that were the first ones after the Metropolitan Police to arrive to, to back up the Capitol Police. And this
2: effort within the Republican Party on the tr- side of it to sanitize January 6th, how does that land
3: with you? I, we Look, we have to get to the bottom of exactly what happened there. And there's no whitewashing. Uh, we need to get to the, all the facts and find out exactly uh, what happened. Uh, Uh, But there's no way to just overlook this and say it didn't happen. The nonsense about these were just uh, peaceful uh, tourists tourists, uh, is completely absurd. And talk about major disinformation and lies. That's exactly what that is.
2: So Kevin McCarthy, the House Republican leader, has pulled the Republicans he appointed to this committee to investigate it. Your
3: thoughts on that? Well, I'm concerned about it. First of all, I I do believe that we should we need a, a committee uh, investigation, bipartisan one. They were working on that. I think we need a got, rea- got through the House, yeah. so, locked in the Senate by Republicans. I know. I'm I I am frustrated because uh, on the one hand, we do need to get to the bottom of it. We do have to have a fair and objective and bipartisan hearing. And Now it's it's like typical Washington. It's devolved into both both parties retreating to their corners, and you know, and now it's not. There's not a bipartisan effort, and I'm concerned about. Uh, you know, I don't want either side I don't want the Republicans whitewashing what happened I don't want the Democrats just trying to make political hay I want to really have a real investigation and find out what happened
2: So the underlying cause of that riot at the United States Capitol Was weeks upon weeks of unsubstantiated lies about the election of 2020
3: Who's to blame for that? Well, Donald Trump is to blame uh, He's the one that's uh, created the lies uh, and it's sad that uh, such a large number of uh, Republican-based what voters is actually about? believe them. Why do they believe that? Uh, you know, it's uh, again, it gets back to uh, the, the, I think, social media and echo chambers and uh, disinformation campaigns, That some of which are you know being uh, inflamed by outsiders even, uh, that, that, that people are believing the stuff that they see, and they're getting their information from uh, sources that aren't credible.
2: Does it pose...
3: A persistent danger to democracy itself. I, I think it does, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm, I'm very concerned about the future of the Republican Party, particularly in the future of the country. It is bad for democracy, and we've got to uh, we got to find a way. I don't know when we're going to break the fever and get out of this, uh, but I'm going to do everything I can to try to be a part of them, making that happen. So let's merge these two thoughts together. Should President,
2: former President Trump, be more aggressively promoting? Vaccines, as some of his Republican colleagues have begun to do this week? And should he, I know the answer to this, get off the big lie?
3: Well, of course, uh, to both of them. Uh, Look, I was the chairman of the National Governors Association through most of COVID, and I led 60-some calls with all 50 governors and uh, either the president and or vice president and the whole coronavirus team. Uh, I was pushing back uh, when I didn't think they were doing enough on testing, when they when, when they weren't getting us any of the things that we needed. The states were on the front lines battling this almost alone in some ways. Uh, it, I'll give them credit because they did a really good job with Operation Warp Speed and getting the vaccines and getting them out there but then the president's misinformation and refusal to talk about wearing masks when when it was so critically important refusal to talk about the vaccine and how important that was even though he was responsible for getting it done and he got vaccinated but then uh added to this uh this uh the folks that support him and the part of his base that just refuses to do it
2: that's the voice of larry hogan the republican governor of the great state of maryland we are in annapolis maryland at galway bay lunch is in route. hannah will be bringing it to us forthwith stay tuned for segment three of the takeout in just one moment.
0: From CBS News, this is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. The sounds you hear around us are the happy sounds of a restaurant and we are delighted to be back in restaurants again. I'm Major Garrett. Galway Bay is our hosting restaurant here in Annapolis, Maryland and just a couple of blocks away is the office of our guest the governor of maryland larry hogan governor one real quick thing on covid are you going to be ramping up or do you need in maryland to ramp up testing because testing has become less prevalent but with the delta and then now and you'll start reading and hearing more about it ladies and gentlemen the lambda variant look we're going to go through the greek alphabet on these variants that's what viruses do do you need to increase testing capacity in maryland to have more awareness of where your hot spots are and what your breakthrough cases are
3: well, so again, we we actually have led the nation on testing as well, and I think we're we've done uh, over uh, I think 12 million tests in Maryland. We're at 7.4 million vaccines. People are are uh, because there's so many people vaccinated, less people are getting tested, but it still is a, a huge problem. So we're we're co- trying to continue to ramp up our testing. You know, I put together a, a ten-state uh, uh, bipartisan compact to get testing when the federal government wasn't uh, wasn't doing their job. We I was the, one of the first ones to get tests from uh, South. Korea when they had a good testing program and they didn't have any here in America. So we're, we're we're continuing to push. Testing is still important. Just yesterday, we made a big announcement where we're uh, putting a lot of money into our school system to upgrade and make sure that they're ready to be testing constantly rapid tests. Uh, so all
2: this surveillance is going to need to be a part of the equation yep. in the fall when, we're
3: so when the weather starts getting colder
2: and we're back indoors more.
3: No question. We're also doing more sequencing than anybody in the country, about twice the national average. And that's Explain where, what that is. Where you take the, the test and you uh, go through a more detailed test to find out what variants we're dealing with. Uh, so I, I think nationally there's about a 5% of the tests are being uh, sequenced, and, and we're doing I think, about three times that much. But it's still, it's to find out. It, what, it, are we at Delta variant? Is Lambda variant? How What's prevalent out there?
2: Right. All right. So as a governor and as someone who led the governor's association, I want to talk to you about some of your Republican colleagues, because in states named Georgia and Texas, but not just to them, there have been efforts successfully uh, or in Texas held in abeyance to rewrite state laws on election procedures. So had you been the governor in Maryland and the Maryland legislature, which wouldn't have because it's run by Democrats, giving you the Georgia new law on voting, would you have signed that? Or would you sign the Texas law? Do those kinds of laws deal with a real problem or an imaginary problem?
3: Well, that's a great question. First of all, we're – I think, again, we were doing really well in Maryland, and we had – all of the above voting. We had about one-third of the people voted with early voting, one-third of them voted by mail, and one-third of them came in person on election day to vote. And we had all of our results by 8 o'clock that night and no problems or issues. Um, you know, we do have a patchwork of election laws all across the country. That's the way it's always been. Uh, I, you know, I would, I haven't really studied the Georgia or Texas laws, the exact wording, but I know certainly the argument that's going on. On the, on the right, I think there's a real concern uh, that there are some problems with uh, inaccurate voting and things that were irregular and that we have need to correct. And on the on the left it's it's that Republicans are just trying to stop people from voting and I'm not sure uh, that it's, it's cut and dry, as we see in most of the media. I, I, I think that we should make sure that we take every, every step we possibly can to ensure that everyone has the ability and access to vote, but we also have to make sure that no one is cheating and that we're making sure that every vote is counted fairly and accurately, and that's, that's what we've done in our state. And I think some of that's lost in this current debate.
2: There is nothing in your opinion or experience that is fraudulent on its face about mail-in voting.
3: No, we've been doing it here in Maryland for 20 years, and uh, or we, early voting, and early voting. It's been it's really uh, ha- hasn't been an advantage to one party or the other, and it's uh, a lot of people have found uh, you know it's a great way to, to. And in
2: 2016, lots of Republicans voted by mail, and Donald Trump won.
3: Well, traditionally, actually, for 20 years, we've had more Republicans voting by mail. They do absentee ballots because they're if they're going to be out of town. They always t- take care of it. So. It, it, Donald Trump kept talking about how they were going to use this to cheat. But so this brings us back took advantage of it. to
2: our conversation about democracy and its mm-hmm. stability. Yeah. It seems to me, Governor, that in terms of these conversations, what is really driving it is my side lost. therefore it's fraudulent. That can't exist as a normative conversation in
3: a functioning democracy, can it? Well, I, you know, I think... Okay.
2: Uh, yes. There you go. Yeah,
3: great. We can we have... The food.
2: Governor Thank Hogan. you. That
3: uh, looks great. Doesn't look very... Uh, dietetic but it looks looks delicious. very healthy to me governor i think that <laughs> looks incredibly healthy. I, I was doing pretty well on a diet but i figured we're we're here in the pub we gotta eat <laughs> exactly <laughs> hannah thank you so much thank you um look it, we, we uh, disinformation and and outright lies and um undermining people's confidence that we have uh, an election system that's uh, fair and accurate and uh questioning the results unfairly that the question that's undermining democracy uh, but, but if but, your orientation is, it's a valid election when my side wins, and it's invalid when my side loses... Well, I would say, you know... The vote, vote, race is democracy. It, 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 it certainly uh, is the, it's the kind of thing that we see in other places around the world where America has come in and tried to stand up to make sure we had free and fair elections and that we didn't have these kinds of issues. So it's, it's a huge concern.
2: And this goes back to one of your earlier observations, and I want to see if you want to marry them together. You're worried about the future of the Republican Party. Well, if your party is one of grievance... And can accept a world in which Republicans do now. There is a member of the House of Representatives in good standing who won her vo- election in Iowa by seven votes. But many in that same party believe that it is invalid for a president to sit in the Oval Office who won by seven million votes. How can those two worlds
3: exist together? Well, I'm not sure they they can can or they should. Uh, You know, I I that uh, seems existential
2: for the Republican Party. I
3: I think the Republican Party is at a real turning point. Uh, A uh, a couple of weeks after the election, I spoke at the Reagan Institute and I gave a speech about you know uh, time for choosing. Uh, It was was a great Reagan uh, speech and quote, and and I said we have to decide if we're going to be a party uh, return to uh, to the party of Reagan and Lincoln and uh, and return to the core values of the republican party are we going to be a bigger tent that can appeal to more people and win elections or are we going to go down the rabbit hole of crazy conspiracy theories and bitterness
2: grievance and conspiracy
3: and 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 just having trump uh this cult of personality as opposed to and uh leaders who are afraid to actually come out and say what they really think because they're they they feel they fear uh, retribution
2: okay enough uh (laughs) t-ball are you going to run against trump in 2024
3: I don't, first of all, I don't think Trump's going to run in twenty twenty four, and, and uh, I, I don't think his uh, his ego is going to uh, is going to let him go out and lose another election. Uh, I also you know, I think he's going to have continue to have problems. I think he reached his apex if you if you look at polling. You know, he was very popular among the Republican base, uh, but he's dropped almost thirty points since November uh, in, with Republican primary voters. I think he's going to continue to wreak havoc and be a some uh, you know a problem for us as he attacks. You know, electable Republicans who are incumbents <clears throat> goes after them in primaries with people uh, who maybe QAnon folks or that, that can't possibly win a, a general election in a in a contested in a swing state. in a swing district yeah. or a swing state. I mean, we, we, look, I I uh, uh, my Republican who got reelected in the blue state uh, in the middle of Trump. Uh, Trump lost my state by thirty points twice. I won by fifteen in in between those two elections. So. I I think I have something to say about how do we go about attracting the voters we need to to be able to be a party that can compete. I I think the latest – I saw some poll recently that only 39 percent of people today self-identify as Republicans. Well, that's – it's simple math. Uh, You know, Haley Barber once said successful politics is about uh, addition and multiplication, not subtraction and division. If you want to get to 50 percent plus one, you have to convince enough people – Uh, that your ideas are the the right ones. So if Trump doesn't run, are you running in 2024? I've really never expressed any uh, desire to run for president. There are certainly a lot of people... Not yet. Well, I still have 18 months to be governor of Maryland, and I, I... I mean, I think I've done a pretty good job here. People seem to be happy with what we're doing. I'm going to run through the tape, uh, give every single day everything I've got, and be the best governor I can. And we'll see what happens in the midterms and see what opportunities present themselves. But uh, it's far too early. Speaking of other opportunities that are
2: already presenting themselves, and you've getting, you've received many phone calls about this as well. What about running against Chris Van Hollen in 2022, the incumbent Democratic senator
3: of the great state of Maryland, who I know you know well? You know, it's interesting. I've said every time I've ever been asked that question, which is like 100 times, I've said I have no interest whatsoever in running for the United States Senate. Uh, You know, I'm just not. Look, being governor of Maryland, I'm a small, I have a lifetime business owner who you know likes to make decisions and get things done. And being a governor, uh, you know, I I have a 50 billion dollar budget and 90,000 employees. I make decisions every day. Being one guy in Washington arguing with uh, you know 99 other people uh, and never getting anything done just doesn't have that much appeal to me. Uh, but they keep bringing it up because the Washington Post did a poll a while back that said I would beat a Pat Holland by 12 points, and I have a 70 something percent approval rating, and certainly. You know, folks in Washington would like we haven't we have picked up a seat here since the '80s. So. 1980 <laughs> was the
2: last time. Yeah, the
3: Republican yeah. won. Yeah. It. So uh, the, the answer is still uh, don't really want to be a senator.
2: The unhappiest <laughs> uh, senators I've ever met, Governor Hogan or former That's governors. True. I've so, heard from a lot of them on both sides. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Major Garrett. We're at Galway Bay, in Annapolis. Larry Hogan is our special guest. Stay tuned for segment four in just one moment.
1: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible
0: From CBS News, this is The Takeout
2: with Major Garrett. Man, am I happy to say this. Boy, is lunch good. (laughs) Galway Bay is our hosting restaurant here in Annapolis, Maryland. Our special guest, Larry Hogan, Republican governor, state of Maryland. Uh, Governor, are you a Lynn Cheney Republican or is Lynn Cheney a Larry Hogan Republican?
3: Look, I have a great. Deal, I, I, that's a, a great question, but I, I have a great deal of uh, respect and admiration for Lynn Cheney. I think she showed a lot of courage when uh, there were there really were not too many examples of profiles of courage. It sort of reminded me, you know, my dad was. The, Are you
2: interested in raising money to help her stay in the
3: I will House t- of Representatives? I, I will try to help her in every way I possibly can. Uh, she's the kind of Republican that we uh, that we need, and um, whatever I can do to help her, you know, I I, I helped a lot of Republicans in the last race. I'm the chairman of No Labels. Uh, Joe Lieberman is my co-chair. But we have a bunch of Republican and Democratic House members, the Problem Solvers Caucus. I went out and helped... Susan Collins in Maine and did commercials, and I've, I've helped all these guys who are willing to work together in a bipartisan way. We, we need people like Liz Cheney in, in the Republican Party. And Former it's crazy President what Trump has doing.
2: meddled, and that's putting it mildly in that primary. Yeah. Uh, do you think that's like the most important primary on the calendar this year for Republicans?
3: I think we're going to have a lot of them. Uh, you know, I'm concerned about the fact that uh, certainly Liz Cheney is important. I'll try to help her in any way I can. I don't know if it's the most important one, because we've got... He's, he's, he's meddling in a number of my colleagues, uh, my Republican governor colleagues. You know, he's Mike DeWine, who's doing a great job in Ohio. I'm not sure what his sin was, but other than he, he was uh, uh, following the science on COVID and uh, he's coming after him. And, 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 and Brian Kemp in Georgia, whatever you think of his politics on, uh, the, on, the, on the voting bill. Look, this guy was a strong Trump supporter who would not assert, you know, he wouldn't lie about the results of the election. And Trump's coming after him. Uh, with,
2: and you know, Doug Ducey in Arizona. And Doug Ducey. Another one who wouldn't Ducey's lie about the Ducey's a good election. friend.
3: Ducey was a strong supporter of the president's, and he's like, you know, attacking him left and right. The Arizona Republican Party trying to censure these folks. It's crazy. And conducting phony audits. Yeah, the, the audit is, I mean, like you know, Ducey flat out said, we, we counted these votes multiple times. It, they, they didn't win. Right. Uh, so
2: how is Joe Biden doing? Is Joe Biden a net success or a net failure as president of the United States?
3: I I really think it's too early to judge. I wouldn't certainly call him a a huge success or or a a, a total failure. I think it's only been seven months or so Mm -hmm. since he's been in office. Um, You know, I've had the opportunity. I had the opportunity to sit down with him in the Oval Office for about an hour and a half, or talk. I was I was involved in trying to uh, very involved in this whole infrastructure deal and. bringing people together. I did a year-long infrastructure summit uh, with the Governor's Association, and then I convened all of these Democratic and Republican governors, senators, congressmen to come up with this, the structure of this compromise deal. So I was talking with him. I, I think he really does he, – he says fairly sincerely he wants to work with us, wants to work across the aisle. I think some of his uh, staff wants to go in a more uh, – a left-leaning direction. Joe Biden, I think, was elected, nominated, because he was not the most far-left Democrat. Uh, he wasn't Elizabeth Warren. He wasn't Bernie Sanders. But I think those folks maybe are having too much influence on him, which is not going to be good for him or the country.
2: So you're looking at this infrastructure. It seems to be teetering on the edge of oblivion. It's either <laughs> going to happen or not, and we're going to find out the next three or four days. What's your sense about that? And what do you want Republicans to do? Because getting back again to former
3: President Trump, he said it's a trap. Block it. Get away from it. Well, he's just dead wrong. Uh, so yeah, I, I mentioned I, I did summits uh, all around the country and around the world on infrastructure. We, we made re- a set of recommendations. I got all 50 governors to agree to. We submitted it to both presidents, to the secretaries of transportation I testified for. The Senate on it, and then I and then I brought in with my other hat, no labels. Brought in the Problem Solvers Caucus, Joe Manchin, uh, Susan Collins, Mitt Romney. I convened uh, you know, Cassidy, uh, all these guys. We brought in the Annapolis for two days and hammered out this what I think is a great compromise. It's it includes a lot of things that the Republicans didn't want. Doubled them from 600 million to about 1.2 trillion. It got rid of all the stuff that while it's certainly things that we can debate and argue that were superfluous that didn't have anything to do with infrastructure the family infrastructure stuff they can handle that separately we found agreement we had we had, we had uh, 58 uh, members of the problem solvers half democrat half republican we got 20 some 22 senators I think it's very important for the country that we find a way to work together. I think this is one both Republicans and Democrats have talked about for decades and never done anything about. We're so close to a deal that the president has agreed to. If the president really wants to make it happen, he should just tell Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi to get it done.
2: Get it done, meaning— Let them do their work, put it on the floor,
3: and even if the progressives don't like it, make them eat it. Exactly. Well, the progressives can come back and fight for all the things that they care about later, but they shouldn't try to jam it into an infrastructure bill that has bipartisan support.
2: So, uh, before I let you go, Governor, uh, you are not a moderate Republican. You've cut taxes here. You have uh, vetoed a police reform bill that wanted to limit no-knock warrants that... Uh, required body cams, and you have been on the, I would say, like you you often invoke Reagan. Um, you're not a moderate. You're not like a low-level Republican. You're just not a Trump Republican,
3: right? <laughs> Look, I'm a lifelong uh, right-of-center Republican. I would say a common-sense uh, conservative. I was a uh, uh, chairman of Youth for Reagan, so I'm a true, solid Republican, but I never thought that uh, the direction that President Trump was taking one of the things I loved about Reagan was his hopeful positive vision for the future uh, that he really did he uh, uh, was a great communicator Trump is the opposite of that you know he instead of bringing people together he was tearing people apart and uh, but yeah absolutely I'm a I'm a conservative uh, and uh, but I'm in the bluest most liberal state in the country and, and people keep reelecting me because I, I also believe very strongly in bipartisan, common-sense solutions and working across the aisle to get things done. I, I stand up and fight for the things that I think are important, uh, uh, but I'm, I'm also willing to uh, reach compromise, which is which is actually what Reagan was really good at.
2: So uh, across the river uh, in Virginia, several counties, Loudoun County chief among them in Virginia, are being torn apart by a debate at the local level over critical race theory. School boards are being divided about this. Parents are outraged. It has become a thematic part of Republican Party opposition to Joe Biden and the Democratic Party. What do you think about critical race theory? What is it happening or isn't happening in Maryland? Are you in favor of it? Or are you opposed to it? What?
3: Well, look, well, I think we have to have uh, you know fair and balanced education that looks at uh, our real history and covers everything. We we have had no problems whatsoever with critical race theory in Maryland. We don't have we we don't have that debate going on. Yeah, you know, these are the curricu- We have, I think we have some of the best curriculum in the country that has, has always been kind of fair and balanced. that uh, there are no, no issues or problems with any of our school boards who have the, 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 the voters' authority to, to make those kinds of decisions. I understand it's a big debate going on in Loudoun County. I haven't been, you know, uh, that involved in it. But I think it's. Do you think
2: there's anything inherently dangerous or, and this is a term that has been applied to it, racist about critical race theory?
3: Uh, you know, I I I think that uh, again, I will go back to what we were talking about earlier on the voting rights. I think you're, there's a lot of rhetoric on both sides of the issue. I think there are some legitimate concerns about, the, in some cases, rewriting history and 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 uh, pushing a certain. Uh, narrative, and and then I think there's other folks on the other side who who don't want don't want to go back and 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 uh, teach what what really happened. Don't want to touch those painful truths. Right,
2: Governor Larry Hogan, Republican, a great state of Maryland. Galway Bay has been our host restaurant. We appreciate them very much. I'm still working through my lunch. For those on our radio audience, we have to say farewell. But for those on CBSN and the podcast platform, stay tuned for the takeout outtake. especially special Major Garrett. We'll see you next week.
0: CBS News. This is the Takeout with Major Garrett. You know, this is your
2: takeout outtake especial, and I need to compliment the person who thought about having the show in a restaurant. Who was that genius? Oh, it was me. <laughs> I'm so happy to be back in a restaurant and with this show, um, because every conversation, you know, this ladies and gentlemen, that's why you're here, is improved by having that conversation over a meal. And we have not been able to do that for the very longest time. We're in Annapolis, Maryland. Galway Bay is our host restaurant. It's fantastic lunch with Governor Larry Hogan. Um, so how is your health? How are you feeling? And tell my audience why they should be curious about that.
3: Well, uh, thank you for asking. My health is uh, great. Uh, never felt better. I'm 100% uh, cancer free and have been now for six years. So it's uh, diagnosed in 2014 with what? it was 2015 I had just been governor for uh five months and I was diagnosed with very aggressive and advanced uh non-hodgkin's lymphoma which had spread all over my body I was uh it was came as a complete shock I went through about uh five months of 24-hour day chemotherapy kept working through it all and then another year of maintenance chemo and now I'm completely clear and feeling stronger than ever I just I, I used to have a beautiful head of white hair and now I've Lost that, but that's the only uh, remnant of my uh, battle.
2: Some in the audience know what you're talking about; many do not. Uh, briefly, what's chemo like? You know,
3: it was. Uh, it was. I, I had a whole new appreciation for people that have to go through that, and uh, it's not just the cancer patient, but their families, their support system. But it was a. For me, it was really a great experience. Uh, it was tough to go through. It really was. But I got to meet so many incredible people uh, who were going through similar or tougher battles. And uh, I have a whole new appreciation. I've, I've I've been very involved now in supporting cancer charities and reaching out to pe- people who are going through that, working with pediatric oncology wards. And uh, but it, it's it's not a fun thing. It's a, a kind of an archaic. You know, they try to they try to kill all of the cancer while well, keeping you alive, and <laughs> it's poison in your body.
2: No doubt. So, uh, Governor, we have three threshold questions we ask all of our guests, and we have done this since the show started. Just before inauguration day 2017 so we have a long list of answers to this so take these questions in whichever order you prefer uh most influential book in your life your all-time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies and if you're driving through the beautiful state of maryland or you're on a long flight and you're going to really enjoy some music i mean really enjoy it What kind of music, artist, or genre are you most likely to listen to?
3: Well, I'm most likely to listen to uh, today's country. It's kind of, I am a late bloomer in this. I used to be a, you know, 70s, 80s rock and roll guy, but I switched over to uh, country music and it's on in my truck all day long. That's Mm -hmm. pretty much what I would listen to on a drive. Um, I, so some of
2: the artists you like most in the modern country uh, is Chris
3: Stapleton is a guy that I'm a big fan of, uh, you know, uh, Zach Brown band. Um, uh, you know, I, I, Tim McGraw, I have a great story. Uh, Tim McGraw has a song called Live Like You Were Dying. It talks about making the most out of every day, and it became my theme song uh, when I had cancer. And he did a benefit for a children's hospital at the University of Maryland. I met him backstage and... Ah, thanked him for inspiring me with his song, and uh, he dedicated the song to me at this concert and then gave me a guitar that's signed uh, to the Gov, Live Like You're Dying, Tim McGraw. So, got to put him in there as well.
2: That's pretty good. That's right up there, as they say. <laughs> so, favorite movie or one of your
3: favorite movies? A uh, Favorite movie, I think, is, you know, I have a lot of them, but uh, for some reason, I really like A Few Good Men, which was uh, just uh, Jack Nicholson was just terrific in that, along with Tom Cruise and Demi Moore was a and I've watched it a bunch of times.
2: So, uh, about that movie, uh, it is said that there are those who take the Jack Nicholson speech near the end and don't see it for what it is, see it as this kind of low-level madman exaggerating his importance, but as actually a rallying cry to look at life. How do you regard that speech?
3: I just thought it was an incredible uh, acting performance, and Jack Nicholson nailed it, and uh, I understand he just, I, 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 I the rumor is that he just walked in, like, almost one take on that. He came in, walked in the back of the room, and nailed that speech, and it was, it was just a riveting, you know, it's probably a little bit of both. <laughs> you know, some of the stuff he was saying with rallying troops, some of it was the guys completely crazy. And, you need me on that wall. <laughs> yeah. You want me on that wall. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. And influential book. Uh, you know, it's funny. I was, ju- you know, I, I was just asked this. I was at the Reagan Institute talking about this. What's your favorite uh, book about Reagan? And I, the Reagan Diaries, I think, is one that I just because it's in his own own words. Mm-hmm. Uh, one. I, I mean, there's a million. It's hard to narrow it down to one. But that's you know, that's I'm going to there there, there later today uh, actually. And so I, I've say Reagan Diaries. hmm And do you think Ronald Reagan? Would
2: recognize the Republican Party as it currently exists. I, I
3: don't think he would. I was just asked that in an event last week. And you know, would would Reagan be able to get uh, elected or nominated in this environment? And would he be called a rhino? You know, it's uh, Republican in name only. It's uh, look. I think he was uh, he was uh, the best, uh, one of the greatest presidents we had. It certainly, a, uh, it had the biggest landslide victories for the Republican Party. I think changed the country and uh, and, and the world. And, um, you know, but it's hard to tell what, what, what we see in the Republican Party today. And you don't think, if I hear you correctly, he would be nominated? Well, I'd certainly, uh, again, be out there as a foot soldier in the Reagan but that's not the same trying thing. trying to elect him. That's uh, not the same thing. Yeah, it's, I think, you know, I think politics, uh, six months is an eternity. We still have three and a half years to figure out what's going to happen uh, in the next election. And uh, I think things are going to look a lot different. Down the road than they do now, and I'm hopeful that we can turn return to a more Reagan-esque Big Ten party.
2: Before I let you go, do you think one of the problems that former President Trump will confront that will prevent him from being an active p- participant in 2023 or 2024 is he will be indicted?
3: I think it's certainly a possibility. I, you know, I'm not a lawyer and haven't seen all the uh, stuff going on uh, in New York, but uh, it's uh, it's certainly a possibility. And I, I look at if nothing else, he's not going to be in as strong of a position as he is now. His it's, it's, uh, his influence, I, I believe, will continue to gradually diminish, and something like that might accelerate it. Last
2: thing, uh, I was interviewing someone I know you know well, Chris Christie on C-SPAN, when his latest book came out, and Chris Christie said something to me I want to run by. you. He said, Donald Trump is least loyal to the people who are most loyal to him.
3: Well, I think that uh, Chris Christie knows him a lot better than I do. Uh, Chris and I are good friends. Uh, we had we parted ways when he uh, came out and endorsed the president got very involved. And I, I had been very supportive of Christie, who helped me get elected. Uh, but we have always had strong di- disagreements about uh, Trump. Uh, but he knows him a lot better than I do. And he was a guy who was very loyal to the president. And president wasn't very loyal to him. So he knows from per- firsthand experience. I think if you look at all the people that uh, it we're in the, so many people that went in and out of the White House and the cabinet that he just uh, who were loyal to him, and then, then they got trashed by the president. The, the biggest example of that, I believe, is uh, Mike Pence, who I uh, I think uh, showed did the right thing and followed the Constitution, and had the guts to do what was right on January sixth, and, and uh, President Trump uh, didn't even uh, didn't even reach out when they were talking about hanging Mike Pence, and he didn't. Instead of calling off the dogs with those people that were out there doing that, he he kept egging them on.
2: That is the voice of
3: Maryland Republican Governor Larry Hogan. Governor, it's been a pleasure. Thank you,
2: Major. It was really great. Everyone, we'll see you next week at another restaurant. I'm Major Garrett. Stay tuned for The Takeout next week. We'll see you.
0: Thanks. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susannen, Grace Seegers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio.
2: If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com slash survey